and welcome to the first, the inaugural episode of Coffee Shop Philosophy, hosted by yours truly, Killian Hobbs. I'm the journalism director over at think-liberty.com, uh, where we put out daily articles related to liberty, economics, philosophy, or just general opinion on the news and the world at large. You can also follow our podcasts uh, wherever you get your podcasts from. We're available on pretty much every single feed, and you can follow us on social media. Uh, again, pretty much every single social media feed you follow. If for some reason you find that we're not somewhere, then by all means, send us a message, let us know. And uh, if you'd like to see us on there, uh, we may very well join that particular platform. So for the first episode of Coffee Shop Philosophy, what I wanted to do was I wanted to go through a few things such as who I am. Uh, I wanted to go through what I do with uh, Think Liberty, how I got involved in Think Liberty, and kind of explain what the purpose of the show is. And I think... I'll start with the last point first. So what I wanted to start off with was the idea behind the show. So what you'll find is there's tons of different podcasts out there that talk about libertarianism, liberty itself, politics, economics, um, world news, etc., etc. It's all things that we've seen a thousand times. And while there's a lot of good podcasts out there, or a lot of good shows out there that dive into these topics as in the entirety of our podcast network, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Uh, I find that it's important to make a note that people have a life outside of their politics. There's a lot of things and areas that our lives go into that aren't 100% driven just by our political views, that aren't driven entirely by, you know, our particular stance on private property norms or anything like that. But in the same sense, we always bring that libertarian eye or our political eye to the things that we get ourselves involved in. So this show is a little off topic, but it's going to be through a libertarian lens because I can't escape the way I view the world, of course. Uh, if you like the kind of topics that we discuss or the things that we discuss, then again, make sure to subscribe to the Think Liberty Net podcast network. That way you can always get weekly updates whenever we have something new that comes out. I think I plugged that enough for one episode, especially for the first episode, so I'll move on from that now. Uh, so the idea, like I said, if, as far as format's going to be concerned, what we're going to be looking at formatting-wise for this type of show is sometimes I'll have a guest on, sometimes like this episode, it'll just be me speaking for you know the time I got you here, and on every episode, I'm going to dive into something specific, something unique, or something that's piqued my interest that I think, you know, this is something that we should talk about or something that we could bring the libertarian lens to, or I could just explain in further detail because I think it's something that's really worth knowing. So from there, I, I guess the best part to move into then would be uh, kind of explaining who I am and why you should bother listening to me. So like I said earlier, I'm the journalism director over at thinkliberty.com or think-liberty.com there. Uh, I work with an amazing team of writers, both guest writers as well as more permanent writers that we have. But, uh, and it's been a great pleasure working with them. Uh, I started working with um, Think Liberty more directly back around the tail end of June. Uh, that's when you might have seen the start of a series that I have on there, Bad Arguments, that I'll get into a little more detail later on in the show. What I wanted to talk, though, with uh, getting involved in Think Liberty or Liberty itself um, and more of my role that's involved there, I guess I need to go back a little bit further. So I got involved in the Liberty Movement itself probably about... Two or three years ago, uh, it might be hard pressed for some people to believe that, you know, I do this type of role for a uh, publication like this now. But there was a time that I was very, you know, very anti-gun, very pro-government, uh, 
pretty much the exact opposite of everything I stand for now. So back then, I my thought process behind all that was the same kind of process people have usually for these things, which is they think that it's going to be what benefits people best. And after, you know, I, I started getting into bait groups, I started talking to more people, uh, started having my views challenged, which is something that's always a positive thing to do. I started to realize that some of the stuff that I wanted, the solutions made sense, the solutions worked if and only if my team was in or if like the quote unquote right people were in. The problem is that you can never guarantee that those are going to pe- be the people that are in. And what I found was that once I started applying the logic of, well, you know, I don't want the government doing this, but I don't want them doing that. And maybe what happens if these people win and what about this? Once I started to apply consistent logic to all of these things, it just slowly but surely I started to transition from everything that I used to stand for and believe in uh, to my current more anarcho-capitalist stances that I have now. Uh, as far as uh, Think Liberty Group itself, uh, I got involved with them pretty much around the start uh, when about a little over a year ago when they first uh, kicked everything off. You know, I was uh, I joined up to follow the page, uh, had talked to some of the great people there like uh, Vinny, Caitlin, Lonnie, all the all the mainstay hands that uh, make everything for the page run and click. Uh, again, great group of people. I love working with them. And. It was through conversations with them that, you know, it, it became more and more apparent that talking on the Internet and getting into random debates with people on the Internet didn't really accomplish anything. It didn't get the message out there. It didn't really change minds. It didn't really present a case because there's only so much you can do through text in short little Facebook posts. So an opportunity arose where they were looking for someone to lead the content generation for articles for the website. Uh, they wanted someone who was, you know, wanted to be a writer, but had a, an eye for, you know, management, an eye for organization, was able to talk to people, get things rolling that sort of way. And I put together a business plan and application for it. And uh, I guess at this point, the rest is history. So one of the big parts with taking on the role and everything else was I wanted to make sure that I had actually something to say myself. I had always, again, I'd been pretty prolific as far as debate groups and things like that are concerned. But again, I wanted to have something a little bit more professionally written, something with more detail, something with more information to work with, and something that would be more beneficial to the people who read it. Not just a reiteration of existing arguments, but rather something that could be used as a tool, something that could advance the conversation. And that's when I realized that One of the biggest things I would see in the world of debate and that I would see in just my interactions with liberty movement in general were some bad arguments. Some of them would be bad arguments that we face. Some of them would be bad arguments that we would have the ability to just trounce. But there were so many of them out there that it gave me the idea of starting off a series. Now, for those of you who have already read them, uh, again, you know, send us a message. Let me know what you think of them or if you have any questions about the thought process or anything like that. But it gave me the idea to start the Bad Arguments series. First article that I did for the Bad Arguments series, uh, as many of you probably have seen, was the but you own an iPhone argument that we see constantly from our own side. My problem with this argument is that it makes us look like idiots. 
I say that because telling someone that just because you participate in society, that somehow means that you're not allowed to have an opinion on changes to society or saying there's a problem with society is just a bullshit line of thinking. There's no way to, there's no way to argue that it, it, it's a bullshit line of thinking to say you're participating in society. So you don't get a say about changes to society. And I saw that argument so many times and so quickly would people get stomped on for trying to use that argument that I, I felt the need that it wouldn't get through to people until they heard it from their own side. So when I went into starting to write, one of the things that is very near and dear to me, I'm a bit of a debate nerd in general, but one of the more important things to debate in its of itself is making sure that the speech comes across properly. I mean, in this case, writing, but still that it comes across the way that you mean for it to come across. One thing I find in a lot of writing that I've come across from either other news publications, from just essays in general, or just public works that people have done, is that we always tend to overcomplicate what it is we're talking about. If the point is to get a message out there, if the point is to reach an audience, it needs to be written in a way that the audience is going to resonate with. Oftentimes in the liberty movement or just in the world of politics and economics in general, people write to showcase how smart they are. They don't write to actually share that information. What I mean by this is that you'll find people that'll, that they obviously spend half an hour going through a thesaurus, picking out which words were going to replace which other words so that it seemed like they were saying something more intelligent than they were. And I find that a lot of, again, bad arguments that we use or a lot of bad messaging that we use is tied to this need to put up a front and try to look like we're more than we are. I mean, you, you could be a, you could be a Mensa qualified, you know, quote unquote genius. But if you can't effectively communicate the things you stand for, the ideas you believe in, the information you have, your intelligence is worthless. Part of that, which again, I tackle with my bad argument series or try to tackle with my bad argument series is the actual arguments themselves. So the argument might make sense in our brain. We've run through it a hundred times, but there's might be just the odd angle that we missed out looking at, or we might not have considered that, Hey, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe what I'm saying isn't what needs to be said, or maybe the argument that I'm using to prove what I'm saying is an ineffective argument. People don't like hearing that they're wrong. They like to dig in the trenches and say, no, 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 this is right. I'm right because I'm the one that came up with it. And again, the, the focal point with the bad argument series that I do is to make sure that we stop using some of these bad arguments or so that people have ammo when they come across bad arguments used from other sides. Like uh, when you have progressives that'll say that, you know, we have to do something about it. Uh, I wrote about that in uh, volume seven of the bad argument series where I go into why that is a silly phrase, the kind of things that it can end up justifying and why it's something we need to shut down immediately. The key thing though, is the writing method. I, I can't stress this enough. I always make a point 
in any of the articles I do or when I'm doing uh, editing on articles that other writers have sent in to me, I make a point of making it readable, making it understandable for an audience. The keys to effective writing are the same as the keys to effective public speaking. You need to be able to get your message across to the entire audience, and you need to be able to do it without insulting the audience. We can't, you know, you don't have to jump immediately from using a verbose vocabulary, using puppets and pictures to get your point across. It's not necessary to insult your audience like that. But a lot of us take that approach where we assume that because the audience can't follow the logic that we're using, or of course they're not bright. And it's just pompous to think that way. You're just being an asshole at that point if you think that that justifies or creates legitimate discourse, because it doesn't. All it does is make you and the things you stand for look bad. So with that, one of the things I'm going to talk about right now is how to effectively write. For myself, I always start off with the basis that I have a message that I need to communicate. That's number one. You need to know the message that you're trying to communicate from start to finish. It doesn't need to be completely polished at the end of the day, but it does need to effectively communicate what it is you're trying to say. Again, like I said before, is a little bit of self-language policing, making sure that you're not throwing large words in that don't need to be there. You're using plain language, but again, you're not insulting your audience by saying something like, me like our freedom, yay. You, you don't do that. That's to, don't, don't degrade yourself and insult your audience doing that. It's important to hit a good balance point. So once you've got your message and once you've got your voice, once you've found the, the right tone, the right middle ground to speak in, it's a matter of keeping the work engaging, keeping the work focused so that it stays on point with what your message is that you're trying to get out and making sure that you leave no loose ends. So you don't go into a side topic and then completely ditch that side topic and you call it a day and you don't leave without a proper conclusion. For example, I've come across articles in the past where people will dive into a topic, they'll go through a whole bunch of information related to the topic, they'll make a bunch of insinuations about what this information means, and they don't actually take those insinuations anywhere. They just scatter them throughout the article and leave it there. They don't address it. They don't, they don't actually complete their message, which is, again, going back to what I was saying about the messaging and the conclusions. You need to be able to start with a point, explain your point effectively, articulate it in a way that your audience is going to both understand and resonate with, and be able to wrap everything up properly. Now, speaking of wrapping up, I'm going to move on to a different topic that I wanted to discuss today. I wanted to discuss the power of outreach. And what I mean by the power of outreach is I mean actually going out and whether it's online with a group of people that you've never talked to before, whether it's in person talking to people in general, actually reaching out and being willing to start that conversation. A lot of people in real life on their own timelines, et cetera, et cetera, will avoid having these types of conversations. They'll avoid talking about what they stand for, what they believe in, uh, what their political views are, what their views on economics are. They'll avoid discussing these topics because they can be tense topics. And I understand that entirely. There's, you know, there's a time and a place for these types of conversations, sure. But quite often we're afraid almost 
of reaching out, of that outreach, of talking to someone we might not have talked to before and saying, hey, how are you? Let's have a conversation. I heard you saying, A, I believe in B. Let's see if we can figure out if one of us is right or if maybe there's a C option that neither of us were really thinking about that we can get there together. Uh, same thing, you know, it goes back to how I got involved in Think Liberty to begin with. Um, I just started, you know, following along, talking to a couple people, all that sort of stuff. And I saw an opportunity to reach out, to talk to them a little bit more, to learn more from them, uh, to learn more about liberty in general, as well as to participate and contribute to the entire just movement and to the brand and everything else. And I took it. I, I jumped on it as soon as I could. And I'm really glad that I did. Uh, I'll give you a little story with this, actually. When I was about, uh, I'd have been about 18 at the time, 17 or 18 when it would have started off. Uh, I was approached by one of the local town councillors. Um, it was in regards to a little project called uh, Friends of Milton Hospital. So it was a it was an incentive, based, well, not an incentive. It was a project to raise awareness about the need for the expansion of our local hospital. So we did a whole bunch of campaigning. Uh, we did a whole bunch of uh, petition signing, uh, all that sort of stuff. And it culminated with us taking it to uh, Queens Park, which would be, I guess, the our equivalent of a governor's office, if you will. And by the, by the way, for anyone that was unaware previously, I'm Canadian. Uh, if you can't sell, I'll say a boot instead of about and see if, you know, maybe that helps you recognize me as a, as a leaf. But uh, going back on track here, uh, we ended up going down to Queens Park there. Uh, we presented our case, explained what was going on, uh, explained the needs in the community. And uh, sure enough, they advanced the project. Uh, about 10 years faster than they had planned to, to expand our hospital. So uh, we can actually see the fruits of it now whenever I drive by on uh, my way home from my uh, commute. And we ended up actually as a group winning citizen of the year in my town for our work for the hospital. And it all started because someone had a conversation with me about a need. And had they not had that conversation... I would have had no idea that this was going on. I would have had no idea that this that there was a need, there was any way that I could help. Had I not been willing to help out, then it might have been something that just completely passed me by. And at the end of it, you know, I was able to say, you know, here's the, you know, here's an award that we got for it, which the award's nice. Don't get me wrong. When 19 years old and you get called citizen of the year, you feel pretty good. You give yourself a nice hard pat on the back, but the real victory in that was actually seeing the results of the hospital, driving by it and seeing the, the buildings about three times larger than it was at the time that we put the whole project together. So something that wondrous happened just from one or two people reaching out to one or two people who reached out to one or two people and got a group going which got a movement going, which got results. And you don't have to go out and get a hospital revamped and fight the government immediately or do anything like that. But reaching out even just to reaching out to your neighbor and seeing if there's, you know, something more that, you know, the two of you could do for your, you know, your, for your street, for your block, um, even reaching out and just having, you know, a conversation, talking to them about, uh, 
you know, the news, talk to them about what you believe in, um, talk to them about what's going on in the world at large and where you stand. And you might even be able to convince them or have an informative conversation with them about where these things can go, about where your ideologies can go, where their ideologies can go, the kind of actions that you can both take to make the world a better place, To as cliched as that sounds. Outreach is an amazingly important tool, and it's one that I find that we, especially in the liberty movement, ignore largely. We have an assumption, you know, we see someone with, uh, you know, 12 flags posted on the back of their car and a whole bunch of quotes from, you know, whatever their political party's leaders are for that month. And we just kind of write them off. We just say, oh, okay, you're just, you're, you know, you're just a statist. You're just, uh, you're, you're going to be entrenched in that party. You're never going to have a conversation. You know, you're just a, you know, you're just an SJW. You're just a this, you're just a that. And some of it is, some of it is that, you know, unless we're hiding behind a keyboard and a computer screen, we're almost afraid to have that conversation with those people. Uh, but on the flip side of that too, sometimes we're just not comfortable enough in our own positions to try to speak on them in any type of public forum. Uh, I've seen it before. I used to work with a uh, youth advisory committee where we would, it was designed around the idea of getting youth to be more involved in politics and getting them more involved in the government and how it works and actually having a say in things that could shape, you know, the, the town and the region. I did that for many years. And one of the biggest things that I learned about it was the fact that there's always going to be people who believe in something without fully understanding what it is. The problem with that is that they'll be afraid to speak on it. Sometimes you might completely understand what you believe in and what you stand for, but there's still that fear of reaching out and having that conversation and actually standing by what you believe and being willing to be wrong. I've been wrong more times than I like to admit because I like everyone to think that I'm this wonderful person like everyone else does, but uh, it's not the, it's not the case. It's not the case for anyone. You know, I can, I can be wrong. I've definitely been wrong before again, countless times, but every time I was wrong, it made me go, okay, if I'm wrong about this, if I, if I'm wrong about this idea, as far as, you know, my worldview is concerned, not some, you know, trivial fact, like I misnamed the actor in a movie, but something like, okay, I didn't understand how this portion of economics worked. I didn't understand what steps the government took for this particular program that they ran. I didn't understand how, you know, how the, how insert X here worked. The important part though, was that I wasn't afraid of having that conversation. Either I'm going to change this person's mind or they could very well change mine. And you have to, you have to go in with a, with a good faith approach, whether it's an actual debate or just a friendly conversation on a topic, you need to be willing to go into it with the idea that you could be wrong, that your arguments could be bad, that your information could be either false or it could be outdated, or it might just be limited in general. And it's on you to both find the courage to reach out to other people and be willing to improve yourself. As far as talking to people concerned, you know, it can be whether it's, again, to have these types of conversations, to actually do something that's going to make a positive change, 
whether it's volunteering, whether it's a project idea you have, maybe it's, you know, you have an idea for a business and you need some people to help out, but you're afraid to help. You're afraid to ask people to help you out with it because, you know, you're not sure about this, that, the next thing. All that stuff has to be pushed aside. The most powerful thing that any one human can do is talk to another human. It is the cornerstone of society and civilization in general. One person talking to another person, sharing ideas, coming up with plans together, coming up with ideas together, testing those ideas against each other. That's basically human advancement in a nutshell. And it all starts with one person being willing to reach out and talk to another. Now, before you get out there and you start thinking to yourself, oh, yeah, this sounds great. This is exactly what I need to be doing with myself. Before you jump out there, a very important thing to remember in this, I, I cannot stress this particular part enough, is the improving yourself side. The number one place that you need to start is with self-improvement. You need to, again, make sure that what you're saying makes sense. Make sure you've applied critical thinking to what you're saying. Make sure that, you know, you've taken the time and the effort to be at the level you want to be at. And again, this isn't just, this isn't just a liberty message. This isn't just, you know, I'm going to go out and discuss libertarianism. So I need to read 70,000 books. No, 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 no. I mean, this is life in general. If you're going out and you are, you know, you're going to try at a sport. You need to practice at that sport. You need to take the time to get better at what you're doing. You need to take time to, you know, learn more, to study more, to research more, to work on, you know, how you debate, how you talk to people, uh, the things, you know, the way you present the things you want to say. And all of that starts again with you being able to talk to other people that is the cornerstone of society. That's what's going to drive everything else. To do it effectively, you need to work on yourself first. One thing that I would suggest when it comes to working on yourself would be making sure that you are constantly improving. That doesn't mean you need to devote your life to becoming some kind of, you know, perfected being or anything equally ridiculous as that, but I would suggest something as simple as take something that you suck at, something that you're terrible at. And again, it does not have to be liberty related. I know this is a liberty podcast, but I'm just saying this is general life advice. Take something that you suck at once a month and every month focus yourself on saying, I'm going to get better at this. Uh, it could be, you know, maybe you really suck at origami of all things. That's the, you know, that's the one thing that you, you know, you think to yourself, I can never do that. Dive into it, learn about it, talk to people who know about it. You'd be surprised who you meet. You'd be surprised what they know, maybe what their worldviews are. Maybe they've got an opinion or an idea or a mindset about either the hobby itself or other things that you're interested in or life itself that you've never thought of because you've never had those types of experiences. Uh, and again, it could be, you know, that's just one example. You could say, you know, I talk a lot about economics, but I don't understand a lot about economics other than the theory side. You could spend a month learning or trying to pick up more of the mathematics side of 
uh, economics and learning how that process works. You could say, you know, this month I'm going to read everything by this author because I keep hearing about them and I've never read them and I want to know more. It could be one of a million things because chances are there's a million plus things that you, you know, I, I don't mean to, I don't mean to put you down as, uh, you know, first day recording this and already I'm insulting my audience here. Uh, it, it's one of a million things that you probably suck at. There's tons and tons of things that we all suck at. I can name, uh, I, there are more things that I suck at than I can actually name. And actually being able to list them would be another thing that I would suck at. Just to, to, just to explain what I'm talking about here. I mean, no one person is an expert at everything. You'll have your areas that, you know, you're really good at. You might be an amazing guitarist. You might have, you know, memorized the lyrics to every single piece of music put out between 1974 and 1978. You might have, you know, been an absolute genius when it comes to coding or when it comes to, well, one of any thing that could exist. But for everything that you've devoted yourself to learning more about, to everything that you've decided to be better at, there are tons of other things that you might not be so good at. And it never hurts to try to improve yourself. It never hurts to say, okay, you know, maybe I'm sort of good with this. Like my knowledge level is okay. Challenge that. Take it a little bit further. Learn more. Do better. Be more than you are. And I, I, I'm not, I wasn't intending this to turn into a giant motivational speech here, but to, for as far as the liberty movement and like is concerned, it's important to keep these things in mind that we should be out there, not just, you know, going on Facebook or something like that and just repetitively saying the same tired arguments about what we believe in, but we should be out there reaching out and trying to make a change. We should be out there trying to better ourselves and learn more about what it is we stand for, what it is other people stand for, um, learning more about other people's interests, other people's hobbies. You'll see, uh, especially in places like social media debate groups and things like that, you'll see how tribalistic everything seems. But you talk to the same kind of people in real life, and it's going to be a completely different experience for you. And I think that it's important that as libertarians, we make a point of taking ourselves out of online personas that are all about liberty and bringing that into the real world, bringing that into who we are on a day-to-day -day basis and actually applying that in our conversations with our friends, our family, our relatives and making sure that we stay consistent with that. That's that I'd say would be the, the third piece to all this is consistency, is making sure that if we're going to better ourselves, we continually better ourselves. If we're going to reach out and talk to people, that we continually reach out and talk to people. And that when we set ourselves up with our principles and our beliefs and our ideologies, that we hold consistent to them. If we do all three of those things from the get-go, we're not going to have you know, bad arguments that we have. We're not going to have bad positions. We're never going to find ourselves pushing for something and it looking like we don't know what we're talking about afterwards because of the position that we put ourselves in by not understanding. So just before I wrap the episode up and uh, 
close everything off for the first episode here. I wanted to say that this this whole branch of thinking, this whole branch of worldview is basically the idea behind this entire podcast. You know, you hear the you've heard the phrase before coffee shop philosophy and you get it from the idea of just, you know, a few people sitting down, they're just sharing ideas, they're just talking, they're just going through things back and forth over, you know, a friendly cup of joe. And that's really the that's really the spirit that we're going to be capturing on future episodes. Um, I guess, again, last thing to say, I've did all the plugs at the beginning of the episode. So if you want to hear them all again, you can go back to the beginning of the episode. I'm not going to bother you with them here. Uh, one thing I didn't mention is right now on our shop, we've got um, specialty uh, T-shirts that are on promo. Normally, the uh, $20. We've got uh, one on right now for 15 and we've got a rotating kind of promo system we've got with those. Uh, you can get them either directly through our website or through uh, Amazon.com or .ca. And uh, if you liked what you heard so far, we'll see you next week.